the Beatitudes, um, one of the difficulties I have is that I only come here once a month and it's hard to go through just one of them, one at a time, uh, one in a month, uh, because not only will you forget what has gone before, but so do I. So um, uh, what I propose this morning is just to cover the Beatitudes very briefly and uh, month by month by month so far far as that will continue uh, I'll cover the specifics of uh, the Beatitudes themselves perhaps in groups of two or three or something like that Beatitude nowhere in the scripture are these verses called the Beatitudes so where do we get the name from Uh, they start Notice you'll notice verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. And there's nine of them and they all start with the word blessed. Beatitude is simply the Latin form of the word blessed. Okay, so that's where it comes from. It comes from the Latin which the Bible was originally translated into because that was the international language of the time. And uh, it's stuck and therefore we're stuck with it because history's labelled it and that's the way it is. One of the problems we have as Christian people is, and I'm speaking generally here, is that uh, when we approach the scriptures, we tend to read the Bible from a cultural perspective. That is, uh, we think about the particular and then we go to the, the, the general. <coughs> and as Christians, we need to be wise. We need to go the other way, from general to particular. When we go particular to general, we open the scriptures and we read, blessed are the poor in spirit. And many read that and they simply argue that those who are poor will inherit eternal life. But a poor man in the eyes of God is no better off than a rich man and vice versa unless there is faith in Jesus Christ. Too often we read the scriptures through lenses that are not not the lens of Jesus Christ. We read into it our own understanding or our own heart's desire. And we make the scripture say what we want it to say. That's called uh, eisegesis. What we want to do is exegete. That is bring out before us the general that we might understand the particular. Take the general teaching of this passage for argument's sake that we're going to look at and apply it to our lives in the particular. So all I'm simply arguing or presenting to you that we need to be very careful when we read the scriptures. Uh, For argument's sake, if we're teaching on uh, prophecy or looking at matters uh, that surround the return of Jesus Christ, the future return of Jesus Christ, if we follow a dispensational understanding of end times, then we're going to read the scriptures through the lens of what we believe it ought to say, rather than taking the scriptures and standing back from them and allowing them to speak to us through Christ, the Holy Spirit. I guess one of the great things, the greatest issues today confronting society 
and even Christian people, is the matter of happiness, blessedness, uh, the matter of happiness or personal fulfillment. Uh, and that's the, the question that confronts our society. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants that happiness yesterday, not tomorrow, not the next day, not a year's time, but now. And there's a little bit of that in all of us, I would suggest. How can I be happy? Well, in answer to that question, most people go from the particular uh, to the general. And when they do that, when we do that, it leads to misery. Because the void in our heart, that is the void, uh, the distance between ourselves and the Lord Jesus Christ becomes greater. And that void then therefore leads to misery because we do not follow the command or the instruction and the counsel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the word of God, but rather we make the scripture say what we want it to do, want it to say. And that's where the deceitfulness of uh, our sinfulness comes in. Even though as Christian people, believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we are saved from our sin. True. Yet we are still sinners. Sin can still overtake us. In all sorts of ways that sometimes we don't even recognize. And sin itself is deceitful. We can sin as God's people and be very satisfied. And we can make the script the scriptures say what we want them to say rather than have Christ the Holy Spirit uh, take them and bring them to us. Sin always promises fulfillment, happiness. Sin never promises misery. Sin never promises illness. It never promises tragedy. Never does. Remember what, Adam, uh, what uh, Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden? <laughs> God's not going to hurt you. You'll be like him. What did it lead to? Think about today. Wars, famines, unbelievable earthquakes, unbelievable floods. All sorts of diseases that were once uh, polio, for argument's sake, that's on the comeback. Once regarded in Western nations as gone forever. It's on the comeback. And the, many of the drugs we're using today don't stop it. Wars that have caused untold misery. And in many parts of the world today, tribalism and all the misery that comes with that. The gospel cut through that at the Reformation. It cut through it uh, about 900 AD, uh, 600 AD. It cut through it at the cross. In Western nations in particular, Europe, America and ourselves, uh, including Britain and Scotland and Ireland, all reaped great benefits from the gospel itself and the blessings that we have today of plenty of medical science and all of these things, public transports that we have, all flow as gifts of the grace of God because of the gospel itself. 
because of the deceitful of sin, so much uh, of our attitudes to life end, don't they, in misery and wretchedness and dissatisfaction and sometimes tragedy. Well, when we come to this passage, Jesus says if we want happiness, if we want to know what true happiness is, if we want to know what true blessedness is, if we want to know what true satisfaction is, this is the manner in which it can only come. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he's articulating the gospel all over again. He's not saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not saying that those who are poverty stricken are the ones who are going to be blessed He's not saying that if we walk around with a long face, we're going to be blessed. He's saying if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are poor in spirit and without uh, being poor in our souls. Before the throne of God, there is no life evermore. Blessed are the poor in their spirit, in their attitude towards God. God's people don't stand up and shake the fist. That's rebellion. Remember the sinners, the sinner in um, the Gospels. The Pharisee was standing up praying and his hands held up and all the rest of it. I'm not like those other people. And the poor sinner got down on his knees and said, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You can be the most wealthy person in the world and get on your knees and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And if we're going to have eternal life and we desire that eternal life evermore, then we have to come to this throne of grace, laying aside all of our own goodness, all of our own pride and arrogance, all that we are and all that we have, it has to come to the point where we say it is nothing. Without you, Lord, I am nothing. <clears throat> Jesus comes here and he deals with the general. Christian people are like this. That's what he's saying. A Christian man, woman, boy or girl must be like this. It's a description of what a Christian, the Christian character should look like, uh, certainly to the Lord and, uh, uh, and to those around, it, around us, at least in part. There's no option here. If we believe by faith in Jesus Christ, then these graces, if you like, or these characteristics that are listed and promised are ours. But if we are just simply cultural Christians, it'll be all right. I'm a good person. Then these, Jesus is saying, no, you're wrong. And we have to come to him the way and the manner, in the, in the manner that he so ordains. <coughs> All Christians are meant to manifest these things. There's no exceptions. Uh, in Galatians, there are the gifts of the Spirit, and they're different to what he's talking about here. Uh, gifts of the Spirit are given to Christian people, various Christian people, differently. Not all exercise those gifts. Not all are granted those gifts, uh, at least in their fullness. 
but they are given to the church, certain people in various places and various parts for the building up and the keeping and the care and the nurture of the people of God. But here, Jesus Christ is simply talking about our relationship with him. In other words, how can I have salvation? And isn't that what the gospel is all about? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and that good news is that he came into this world and died that I might live. And when we believe that, Jesus says, you're poor in spirit, therefore yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn the loss of a loved one. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what it's teaching. If we're poor in spirit, you see, we cannot be poor in spirit as the Lord sees us and understands it and as he's teaching here, unless we have seen our sin and understand that that sin first separates us from the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God Almighty and separates us certainly from eternal life. But once we've seen that, it's the first step in regeneration, in the change that takes place in it. Lord, I am a sinner, forgive me. But you see, something else happens. We mourn our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. But you see, we cannot mourn our sin. We cannot feel sorrow for it. We cannot uh, express our sorrow for sin unless we first see Jesus Christ. Unless first of all we've bowed the knee and we've given up our own pride and arrogance. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And on and on we can go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's righteousness? It's simply a knowledge of God. How long is it since you picked up your Bible and read it? Do you thirst and hunger for a knowledge of God? You're not going to get it from the TV. You're not going to get it from the local newspaper or the national newspapers. It's only one place you get the knowledge of God. And that's from the word of God written. The promise is if you hunger and thirst for a knowledge of God, you will be filled. You see, that's the blessing. There's no negativeness here at all. If you've seen Christ and confessed your sin, then yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you have mourned your sin, you'll be comforted. That is, you will know the grace of God in your life and you will know the wonder of sins forgiven. You see, none of these things are a condition of the human will. We might, in our own hearts and minds as it were, say, well, I am poor in spirit. Yeah, and I'm a bit sorry for what I do. I'm meek. I don't argue with anybody. I'm merciful. I help others. I'm merciful. 
I give to the Sallies or some other um, um, welfare group or organisation? But you see, there's a problem with that. That's our own human strength, which God says is not a strength at all. He says it's a weakness. It's pride and it's arrogance. We can only be though only mourn when we see our sin and come to the foot of the cross. We can only be meek when we know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. We can only hunger and thirst as the Holy Spirit touches our lives and gives us that desire and that thirst to know who God is. Then we will turn to the scriptures. Then we will turn to prayer. Then we will turn to worship. You see, there's a a logic about the order of these things. And the first and foremost is that we are poor in spirit. That is that we have come to see our sin. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. We've just sung about it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who revile and persecute you. They're not nice, are they? We don't want to do anything where people will revile us and persecute us. We're afraid of being hurt. Don't mind being offended occasionally, but we don't want to be hurt. But you see, if our pride gets in the way and we do offend and it comes back at us, we're not being meek in the spirit of God. We haven't seen our sin When they persecute you, and verse 12 says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you're persecuted. Now, I've copped a fair bit in my few years in ministry, and it's hard to be glad. But you see, the point is, and this is where we've got to keep coming back to the simple fact that Christ bore it all I've been threatened with vilification and all this sort of stuff that's happened to me twice at funerals as a result of a funeral but you see nobody's crucified me they took the Christ of glory your saviour and my saviour and they put him on a cross Now he says, Christian heart and mind and soul, boy or girl, mum or dad. He says, rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted for the sake and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the prophets have gone before you. Some of them were sawn in two. Can you imagine that? I nearly cut my finger off a few weeks ago. Isaiah it is, I think he was cut in two by a saw. 
Have you suffered that? I haven't. I read a book uh, about the time I left Somerville, or just before it had, it had come out, and it was written by Geoffrey Robinson, the British... He's actually an Australian, I think, but he's, he's lived in Britain all his life, and he's a British lawyer. Uh, Queen's Council and all this sort of stuff, and uh, a very gifted man. I don't think he is a Christian, but he wrote a book defending Thomas uh, Oliver Cromwell and... The, the ministers that prosecuted Charles I and, and executed him. What brought that about was simply that Geoffrey uh, Robertson was appointed by United Nations or something to train lawyers to try people for war crimes. And Saddam Hussein when he was brought before the court, he pleaded the divine right of kings that he was above the law. And that's exactly what the kings of England, Charles I, did. And Geoffrey Robinson went and looked at this plea and out of it he went back to Cromwell and the ministers who were lawyers who prosecuted Charles I for um, uh, tyranny... He attacked his own people, sent his own army against his own people. Tyranny, is that the word? I don't think it is. It might come to me. And Cromwell defended the people. Uh, sorry, Geoffrey Robinson in his book defended the whole thing and said that Cromwell was right. That the ministers of the day, the, the gospel ministers, they were, they were also, many of them were lawyers. And they stood for the people and defended the people and prosecuted Charles. But Robinson spends a chapter on describing what happened when Charles II came to the throne and gospel preaching was pushed aside. I won't go into details, but these same pastors were hung, but the moment they dropped, the rope was cut so that it inflicted huge pain and rendered their body uh, pretty much useless, though they were still alive. I won't tell you the rest. Save it to say that I hope we never, ever see it. We don't suffer persecution as they did in the Reformation. But blessed are those who do. <coughs> well, I'm lost. I suppose what we're looking at here is an overview of what these are, what these Beatitudes are and what these blessings are, is simply that we're talking about the gospel in its purest form. 
In other words, there is such a thing as the doctrine of justification or, or, or justification by faith alone. God alone, faith alone, word alone, Christ alone. I've got the order wrong, but that's close enough. Justification. Justification is a declaration by Almighty God that we are fit to enter into heaven. But you see, that declaration cannot be said of us by God himself unless we are poor in spirit. Unless we have first seen our sin. Unless we first understand our emptiness. That we are without God. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 2. Sorry, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, before we come to faith, before we see our sin, and before we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, Jesus says, yes, you walked. Yes, you were alive, but you were dead. You'd have nothing to do with me. I could not accept you into my presence. You were already judged. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world. You see, that's the natural man. That's the natural heart. That's because we're like that. From birth, because of Adam and Eve. No other reason. Little baby comes into the world. That little child has not sinned. But it is a sinner. Because of Adam. And I probably should say that if that little child is to die in its infancy, does that mean it goes to hell? No, it doesn't. Just hang on to that if you're a mum or a dad or you've lost a young child. You once walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You see, without faith, we are disobedient in the eyes of God. That is, we haven't come and responded to his call of grace and mercy. Among whom we also once conducted ourselves. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I was like that. Once upon a time, I was outside of salvation and grace fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and we're by nature children of wrath. And he goes on in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul here has seen his sin and he knows that the only thing that's brought him into grace and eternal life or life evermore as we began our service is the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing more and nothing less. The blood of Christ alone. And if we come to him in our own strength, our own goodness, with our own gifts, they're like filthy rags. 
to be fit to be thrown on the fire. He says, you're not good enough and your very, very best is not good enough. Our salvation is all of grace. Listen to verse 8 and 9 and 10 of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. You see, we don't stand. Our own goodness doesn't stand. The Lord says, I've saved you through faith. I first loved you. I loved you before you loved me. I knew you before I created the world. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. His grace is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, our goodness, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. My friends, do you know salvation by grace? Do you know these promises of great blessing? Here in Matthew 5. <clears throat> do you know that yours is the kingdom of God? Do you know that you will be comforted because you'll, you mourn your sin? That he will take away that sorrow as you dwell in his presence? Do you know that you shall inherit the earth? Do you know that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God? Do you know that you will obtain mercy? Better than that, do you know you have obtained mercy? You see, that's what faith is. The Lord God Almighty applying the death and the resurrection, the shed blood of Christ to us now, today the moment we come to faith. Many people believe that these promises are all future. Coming in the car this morning, I got Heather to drive from Kahuna and I pulled out my Greek New Testament and a um, a sort of an grammatic analysis, looked at the language They shall, in verse 5, they shall inherit the earth. That is future. Revelation talks of a new heaven and a new earth. And there's four items in this, these verses that are future in terms of the grammar. But the rest are all present realities. And even those promises that are future are ours now. It just... We simply have to wait for the final completion of them when Christ returns. These things are now. These things are present. And I'm simply asking us this morning, do we know that in our own hearts? (coughs) Who belongs to the kingdom of heaven? Those who are poor in spirit. Have you confessed your sin? Are you sorry for your sin? Do you feel the burden of that sin? Who is it that's comforted? It's those who mourn their sin. Who is it that inherits the new heaven and a new earth? It's those who have submitted themselves to God in Christ Jesus. And finally, we read the Ten Commandments. Just let me take you to that for a moment. What we've just been looking at is the gospel itself in all its simpleness. 
the Beatitudes a concern, a concern with the condition of our hearts. The Ten Commandments, what are they concerned with? Telling us what to do and how to do it? No. The Lord God Almighty is concerned in the Old Testament with the condition of the human heart. Verses 2 to 11 speak of our relationship to God. What is it that we're to believe? How are we to act towards God? You see, it's a heart condition. It's not necessarily an intellectual one alone. The intellectual condition says particular. God's a God of love, therefore he'll love me, I can do what I like. That's popular in the Christian church today. God says, no, you can't do what you like. I'm interested in your heart. I am one. I'm a jealous God. And the rest from verse uh, 12 to 17 speak of our relationship to one another. And again, if you look at these things closely, they're not just simply laws to live by as guides, which they are, but they're all concerned with our own heart. We're all very quick at times to point the finger at others and say, well, they shouldn't have done that. They did this, they said that, but what about ourselves? Where did they get it from? Did they learn it from us? Or has the gospel so touched our lives and changed us that we see our own heart condition and come to the Christ of glory in the poverty of spirit? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Well, let us close by the singing of the hymn 500 and